Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. One of the fun things I get to do at this time of year every day, and that is to be with a bunch of high school kids and spend time with them. And uh, I'm impressed with the bus rides, the bus rides. Nobody should ever have to ride on a yellow school bus, but if you have to, I guess this is a way to do it. So we go to games and we go away and we travel and get there safely, good, and then come back home and... um, for the most part, I keep my sanity through it, um, but the teams, over the years, it's always been this way. Even when I was young and was a, uh, an athlete, we did these kind of things, but on the way home, they sing a lot. They sing a lot, and this group of team I have, I, I, I'm not ready. Ann informed me earlier this summer that we're not going to win the state championship. When, when all the surgeries and stuff started piling up for my players. And um, I've been since then saying it's not as probable that we'll win. But anyhow, um, and so we're probably not the best team in the state, but we may be among the best singers in the state. And, and the thing about it is um, I thought it was fun. There's some songs they sing that I don't know. Um, and a couple of them have really stuck in my head. I'm trying to get rid of them. But, um, but then they were singing some songs that were from my kids' era, like the late 80s and 90s. And, and that was kind of fun to hear again because it reminded me of the little ones. And then they started singing songs from our era, my era. And um, in my weekly email, I reminded them of a couple of other good sing-along songs from my era that they haven't done. It's fun to live in the past. That's the thing, isn't it? Uh, we all do that uh, to some degree, unless you're not old enough to have a past yet. But um, we all try to, you know, we'd like to keep alive the things that were good and fun. And, and there's a lot of value in that. There's a lot to learn and, and probably some things to treasure from the past. In the past, there were some great events in our lives, your life, my life, um, that really are are good to hold on to because we did things and learned things and we can use that today to encourage us and to uh, keep us going the right direction. Some of those things in the past included people that we have left behind in the past. And so that's precious, too, that we, we hang on to that. However, sometimes the past can be a hindrance. Sometimes there's loads in our past that weigh us down significantly. Personal history is a lot like world history in that there can be some great highlights, but there can also be some huge, embarrassing lowlights that we don't want to cling to. It was so cool to have Clint Dog read that passage. He, um, 
he, he says nice things, I think, about me, but I am a, way more a huge fan of his than he is of mine. Um, that passage he read to us was the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and he was really sharing his heart and his life before them. He's telling them and us that he once upon a time was imprisoned spiritually. He didn't know it, but he was. He was, he was shackled to a religious hostility that uh, he didn't need to have. What to him and everybody else appeared to be good and right and impressive turned out to be spiritual garbage. And that spiritual garbage and rubbish weighed him down. Today, there's a lot of people, at least I hear this on people who call into radio shows, and even people today that will tell me, well, I could never go to church. And they're weighed down by a lot of spiritual garbage that they may have heard or seen that just keeps them from doing what is right and good for themselves. And sometimes even just dealing with that mentally can become a hindrance to who they are. The Apostle Paul came to learn that there is a goal in life, and that goal in life was being with Christ. That's the prize that he's going to talk about here in Philippians chapter 3. He wanted to be conformed to Jesus, to become more and more like him. He wanted to strive for maturity in Christ which turns out to be the most radical conformity. I think, I know my generation when we were younger, everybody wanted to be different. We all wanted to be better than the ones before us. And sometimes they use the word radical or passionate or whatever it is they want to use. Nothing is more radical. Nothing is more passionate. Nothing is more exciting and different and better than to pursue Jesus Christ. And Paul did that. He humbly pursued Jesus Christ, and he's telling us in this chapter about his journey, and he's helping us. Early in the chapter, he talks about um, what we come to call, at least in theological circles, Judaizers. They were people who came into the church, and they tried to say, well, I'm a part of the church, I'm a Christian, but you can't be unless you do the Jewish things that our forefathers always did. Had to do with circumcision, had to do with some other practices. And you know what Paul calls them earlier in here? He calls them dogs. Now, I like dogs. I like puppy dogs. They're cute and, and all that. That's fun. And, um, but that's not what he's thinking of. And, and he's not thinking of what you're thinking of either because that was actually a slang term in their day for Gentiles. Anybody non-Jewish was a Gentile dog of some kind. It was a derogatory thing. The Judaizers were trying to tell the Christians, the, especially the Gentile Christians, that yeah, you accepted Christ, and that's really good, but you're really not saved until you get circumcised and until you do the other things that Israel uh, does. And Paul's really refuting that, really strongly refuting that. So in this text uh, that Clint read for us, 
Newt Larson says there's three things here in our, that our Christian life experiences that we should not look back at because they weaken us. So we're going to look at his three things he mentioned. Um, I did my own writing on it, but I, I do have his three things. That's why I've uh, referenced him. And I'm going to tell you that there's at least three. There's probably a lot more than three, but these are what he said, and I didn't come up with any others, so I'm going to stick with that. Three things that we should not look back at. If you're a believer in Christ, let go of this stuff. Number one is sin. Now, you probably sinned, maybe recently, maybe even this morning, probably, possibly, and hopefully you felt bad about it. That's okay. Maybe you even thought, uh-oh, why did I do that? Or why did I say that? I hope nobody else noticed. That's okay. However, when it comes to you and your relationship with sin, there's a couple things we need to think about. Don't pretend it did not happen because it did. Whether it was an action you did or whether it was something you said, it happened face up to it, but also don't wallow in it. Don't just uh, sink and say, woe is me, and oh, look at what I'm like, and um, you don't need that. Forgive yourself after you accepted God's forgiveness, after you've taken it to him and have confessed it, because he is faithful. And he's going to deal with that, and he is going to forgive your sin when you come to him humbly repenting and asking his forgiveness. And then it's done. God gives forgiveness. Here's one of the verses that God gave to Israel about how he handles sin. It's a great verse. He said, as far as... As the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. I had heard that verse a few times in the past, and you know, when I was young, and, and it was like, oh, that's a pretty cool verse. I like that a lot. Then when I was a little bit older and started to think through things, and I thought, wait a minute, east as far as the east is from the west, how far is that? I didn't know, because where I lived, uh, I lived on East Tioga Street, about two, about maybe 500 feet that way was Front Street. That's where the traffic light was. And Front Street in Philly is really First Street, but it's called Front Street. And um, and everything west of that was west, and everything east of that was east. So I kind of had a concept of east and west a little bit. But then I started, I heard somebody say that, if you were to face east, which I think I am doing right now, and if I were to start walking straight and there were no interferences, I could go through the door and walk through the wall and just keep going, I could walk and walk and walk and walk, and I will always be walking east and never be walking west. In order to walk west, I'd have to completely turn around and go that way. And so... How far is the east from the west? As far as you can walk. You can't get there. You can walk east for eternity and never be going west. Do it in space. Same thing. Um, it is far. God is telling us that when he forgives your sin, 
he forgives your sins. Does he forget them? Sort of yes and no. It's not like God is ignorant and, and didn't know. It's like, wow, yeah, I guess I forgave him. I forgot. He doesn't do that. But he never treats you according to those sins once you confess it. He's dealt with it. He's okay with it. He's got it under Christ. It's covered. So if God can forgive you, then you need to forgive yourself. Also, you need to learn to forgive others. That's pretty significant. Christ talks about that a lot. There are several times when he says about, you know, we need to forgive other people and even implies that if you're unable to do that, then God, Christ doesn't need to forgive you of specific sins as well. When you forgive other people, even if they don't want your forgiveness, even if they don't acknowledge that they did anything wrong, I, he called you a bad name and he says, I'm not taking it back. I think you are that bad person. You need to forgive that person. You need to deal with that in yourself, even if he won't come to it. Because when you do that, you're freeing yourself. When you can forgive other people, you free yourself. Um, of the responsibility. The great baseball pitcher and amateur philosopher, not Yogi Berra, but Satchel Paige, he was pitching baseball when he was 152 years old. I don't know how old he was, nobody does, but he was old. And he made a statement once and it said this, and I think it had to do with baseball, but it might have had more than that. He said, don't look back, people might be gaining on you. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that in life. Um, people are out to catch you, if not overtake you, I don't know, but they are after you. You got to get past it. You got to get past the past. Too many people live in the past, and especially as far as sin goes, and God doesn't want that. He does not intend that. I remember um, a long time ago, I was in school, uh, college, and I saw a... a um, private interview, like a news kind of thing. I'm sure others saw it too. It wasn't just private to me, but it was an interview with Billy Graham. And in the 1970s, Billy Graham had been uh, invited and he accepted that to do a series of revival services in London, England. And so he was over in England and he was uh, enjoying the services, but also some of the sites and he had the opportunity to tour an insane asylum where there were, it was just overflowed with patients that had mental disorders and difficulties. And it was, according to him, it was a pretty difficult sight to see. And he said he was taken on this tour by the leading psychiatrist in all of England. And that gentleman at the end, when Billy Graham was talking about what a horrible situation this is and these difficulties on these people, and he, and he was just making comments about that, that psychiatrist said to Billy Graham, if you can help solve the problem of guilt, 86% of these people would be able to go home and live a normal life. Wow. 
Now, some of you remember those kind of things. I have one of my degrees is in psychology, so I've been through a lot of these kind of places, or at least a few in, in Indiana, and I know how horrific some of that was. Solve the problem of guilt, and they can be set free. They could be made whole. They can be healed. Guess what Jesus did? <laughs> he solved the problem of guilt by paying for your price. Paul's letter here uh, was actually, as he's telling them that you need to let go and forgive, and he's saying that in a letter, and there may be people who are holding it in their hand and reading it that day and that time, or maybe hearing it read in their church service, who can remember the time when a loved one of theirs, possibly, was among those that Paul drug into prison out of their homes because they had become Christians. Or maybe some of those might have been those that were imprisoned, beaten, maybe even killed. And Paul, you're telling me that I need to forgive. I don't know if Paul would say that, but I know Christ would. Christ would say that. Paul couldn't hide his past the good and the bad, he couldn't hide. But he seemed to bring to remembrance uh, the Bible verse, whoops, I went too far, the Bible verse, I think that's the one I want. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. At least God said that to Israel, but I think it's true of you and I as well, that he is willing to put it all under the blood of Christ and let it be there and let it go. Your sins, confessed and forgiven, and they're gone. Forget the past and accept his grace. There's another reason I think that it's good to, um, to let the, don't look back on the past sin, is because sometimes when people look back, it brings up fleshly desires that once defeated them. And it can do it again. I remember a dear friend of mine who had, was a relatively new believer in Christ, and, uh, and he was really excelling, really doing well. And then all of a sudden, um, a disaster happened. And as I met with him and talked to him about what happened here, how did this, it had to do with drugs and alcohol. And how did you get back into that when you had had that under control for such a long time? And he said to me, I ran into some of my old friends, and I so desperately wanted to witness to them and tell them about Christ, and we got together, and one thing led to another, and then all of a sudden, um, he had failed. He had failed and got in trouble. Sometimes we gotta let go because the fleshly things of the past can come back and haunt us today and, and, and defeat us. Satan's going to do that. He's going to use every angle that he can, every weakness that you have or ever had, he's going to try to bring up against you. What Jesus said to the woman taken in adultery is true for all of us. Go and sin no more. Forget the past. Put it behind. Don't let that get you. So don't look back at sin, but also uh, don't look back at self-righteousness. That's the opposite extreme, isn't it? This is a side where it's like, 
okay, that was how bad I was and how low I was and how dirty I was. This is how cool and good and great and pure and clean I think I am. Now, in, in the verses before, I'm going to read two verses four and five. I'll start in the middle of verse four. It just says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As far as zeal, I was persecuting the church. And as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. <laughs> That's how Paul characterized himself. He said, you know, these Judaizers are looking at themselves and they're saying, I am good. I am great. I do this and that. I, I practice this every day. I do this all the time. Um, and Paul says, I got it all. You talk about rituals. You talk about the relationships, whether it's national, tribal, or cultural. You talk about religion. I have done it all. Nobody can be above that. He boasted in that. He lived for that. He depended on that in his past. It was his strict legalism that made him look good and feel good. But there's a lot more that's needed than just strict religious adherence to some outward way of behaving. He trusted in that outward observance of the law. He trusted and depended on what he did ritualistically, but he failed to see that there's a real need for an inward repentance and a strong faith. Dave Hawking was a, was a one time a really great pastor in, in the state of California, Grace Brethren guy, and uh, back in the 70s and into the 80s, uh, I, people from California told me that Dave Hawking was bigger than John MacArthur, and I hear the gasp of shock going through the audience, but he was big. And here's something he said that I think is right. It is a sickness all too prevalent among believers to look back at the accomplishments of the past rather than to concentrate on working in the present and what they're doing. We can't just always live on past laurels. We need to be doing for Christ today what he has called us to do. We forget behind and reach to the future. People are declared righteous in Christ because that's the only way you can get your righteousness. There's nothing else that we can do to get that. The Bible used a, a word, uh, a fancy word, I think, imputes. I think I have it printed in your Bibles or in your bulletin, so you don't need to spell it. And, and here's what it is. It's God proclaiming officially a legal announcement. It's sort of like all of a sudden he stands up and he steps on top of the throne and he stands up and he yells out, the righteousness, which is my son's Jesus, I'm giving to you. I'm giving it to you so that you can have it. It's yours. That's how I'm looking at you. You are righteous. God has declared you righteous when you came to know Christ as Savior. Another word we use in theological terms is the word justification. Uh, he declares that you have been made just and right in his own sight. So don't go back. Don't go back 
trying to win your own way to God. You can't impress him. There's nothing that you and I can do that God's going to step back and say, wow, that was impressive. I really like that. You can't do it. You can't do it. We begin by faith accepting Christ, and we continue by faith obeying him, following him. So we own him as Lord, we obey him as master. That's what it's all about. It really is simple. It's really simple. It's Jesus. It's just about Jesus to know him. That's what it's all about, just to know Christ. Knowing him makes everything worthwhile. Everything's worthwhile. And everything else is not important in comparison. Not at all. So we don't want to look back at our sins. We don't want to look back at our self-righteousness, our accomplishments. We also don't want to look back at distractions. And there's a lot of those. Those non-essential things that draw our attention. Eventually, they prevent us from doing the greater good that Jesus has for us. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57, and a little bit onward, Jesus talks about distractions in the Christian life, and he says a couple different stories. One of them is, don't plow and look back. Another one is, don't go back and wait for your father to die. And don't investigate real estate. What does that mean? Uh, well, the plowing one, I think is somewhat obvious. If you're plowing a straight row and you start looking back all the time, it's going to end up going like this, and, and it's going to be a mess. The next one's a little bit hard, and I, I kind of gave more of the literal interpretation of what he was saying as to what, depending on what your version says in the Bible, but don't go back and wait for your father to die. Jesus was calling people to follow him, and one of the excuses they gave was, depends if you have the King James, I think it just says, I have to bury my father. Well, the actual text is saying, I have to go home, take care of an ailing parent, and ultimately when they die, and I'm done with that, then maybe I'll come follow you. That's what it's really implying. Or the other idea of don't, inve don't investigate in real estate. You know, these people were, um, you know, studying everything, researching everything. They were adding to their portfolio. Work, family, finances, those things are important, and they're okay, and it's okay to plan. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, no, you can't plan on this and don't plan on that. Just live blindly. He wasn't saying that. What he's saying to them is all these things are important, but your relationship with Christ is foremost. There's nothing more important than that. The lordship of Jesus is what he's looking at. That's supreme. Heard about a story about distractions. Um, there was a gentleman who had gone on a diet. And one morning he was driving to work and he was a little bit feeling the uh, painful effects of his diet. And he thought, I'm going to take a different route and I'm going to drive by my favorite donut shop. And as I go by my favorite donut shop, 
if the Lord should just happen to have a parking place right in front, that will be his will for me to go in. And sure enough, there was a parking place right in front, and he only had to circle the block eight times before it opened up. Um, maybe you have done that yourself. That, that's a silly illustration, but boy, do we tempt temptation, don't we? There's all kinds of distractions. Jesus said, follow me. Don't look back. Don't settle for less. Come and watch me. There's a, this is a good study, and I, I did this, but I don't, this isn't exhaustive, what I'm going to give to you now. But it's a good study. Do a word study in Scripture on, and it might be varied, but there's a couple places where it says, this one thing. <clears throat> if I were coaching my kids and I said to them, okay, when you get the ball, this is the one thing I want you to do with it. That be, I hope they would listen. That's kind of important. Um, when God says this one thing, I think it's important. Here's a couple samples. In Psalm 27.4, it says that there is one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. I know when I first got familiar with this passage many, many years ago, and, uh, and I've heard others, they, we kind of take the view that it's talking about when I get to heaven. But David's like, man, the one thing I want to do is be in heaven. But that's not what he's saying. This is David the refugee, David the hunted, David the man who hid in caves for a while um, because his life was in danger. And he's saying, you know what? There's one thing I just long to do now, and I don't get to do it, but I just can't wait. I know God's going to allow this, that I can go to the house of the Lord. And later on, he calls it the temple. He's talking about Jerusalem. That's where he wants to be. And he says, I want to be there all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. If he were alive today and had the same experience and was saying the same testimony, he'd be saying something like, I just want to get back to church. I want to get there and be with God's people and worship God in, in spirit and in truth. I want to see the beauty of who he is and enjoy the fellowship, enjoy the worship together, the singing. I, I want to hear Clint Dog on the screen. It's just, I want to be there. I want to experience all of this. That's the one thing I long for in my life. That's King David. During the life of Jesus, he was with some friends, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and others, and he was invited into their home, and it was exciting. Everybody was pumped up, and Jesus is there, and he's going to talk. Who knows what he's going to do or say? It was just a neat time, and we're with dear friends. Mary and Martha are hosting us, and Lazarus is there. Hadn't seen Lazarus for a little while, and, and here they are enjoying this in the fellowship, and there's a little bit of a conflict between Mary and Martha. And Jesus says something to Martha about that whole situation. You're worried and you're upset about a lot of things. Now, he doesn't say that's wrong because there were people there. They were needing refreshments and, and nourishment and strength. So that's not wrong. 
but Martha, you're just so preoccupied on this. But there's only one thing that is needed, and that is Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What did Mary do? She set aside the hospitality issues, and she came and she sat at the feet of Jesus, soaking up everything about him and who he is and worshiping him and enjoying him. And that's what we need to do. There's a lot of things in this world that are really, really good, fun, precious, enjoyable, and things that we do. But there's only one thing that we really need to do, and that is to sit at the feet of Jesus and know and love him. There's a lot of other passages of Scripture that speak of, of just you know, making it everything. For instance, 1 Corinthians 10.31 talks about whatever you do, whether you eat or sleep or whatever you do, do all for the glory of Christ. I think I have in your bulletin Colossians 3.17, which talks the same thing about everything is to be lived for Christ. I think next week I might do the verse of the week, might be Colossians 3.23, because it talks about our work relationship and anything we do is to be done for the glory of Christ. <clears throat> Some things are good for the moment. They're fun. They're enjoyable. It's seasonal to us. But Christ satisfies forever. So when Paul says here to press or pursue toward the mark, that prize, keep on stretching yourself for the right goal, we need to know that death is not that goal, but meeting Christ is. Being with him. The ultimate goal of a believer is to be with Jesus Christ forever. You and I have a calling from heaven, and it's a calling that will ultimately end with us being in heaven because the prize and the goal is being with Christ. Let's pray together. And Lord, as we um, think about that, about putting things behind us, letting the past be the past, at least as far as the stains and sins of it, the self-righteousness of it, the distractions of it, <clears throat> Lord, we want to uh, fully come and accept you and live by faith with you and trust you. We want to make you the prize and the center of our hearts and our worship, the throne of our heart. Lord, that's something that we have to renew every moment because uh, we lay our lives on the altar before you and then we crawl off. And so uh, we need to renew that with you even today, Lord. And that's why we came was to worship you and to renew our faith and strength in you. Thank you so much for your grace uh, that is so amazing to us that you loved us, you bought us, and you gave us Jesus' righteousness. You declared us right. You justified us fully, clean, for all eternity. We're so grateful to you for that. Help us to live in that victory so that we can uh, have strength to meet the task day by day and maybe even have the courage to share with others how freeing and how strong and powerful it is to know Christ as Savior.
Thank you for your love. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.